Isn't, isn't having the break again wonderful? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> the, the very simple things that we uh, sometimes miss and don't realize, hey, this break thing is fun. Well, um, this morning, I, it's been a while since I've preached, so forgive my rustiness, uh, but um, it's a privilege. I'm glad to be back here uh, up and uh, in preaching. The message this morning is called, The Rock We Struck, The Banner We Follow. And this is from Exodus 17 and continuing in our series in Exodus. And uh, Barry did a wonderful job uh, preaching on uh, chapters 15 and 16 last week. And uh, we're just continuing the story this morning. So let's turn our Bibles into Exodus 17. And uh, there is a mention of, of a banner here. Uh, and that's part of the title, right? Uh, a banner is something people uh, rally to. You know, something that is kind of primary in their vision and mission. And some, sometimes that, that banner, you know, that might be like the, uh, the, the flag of the United States of America. And in wartime, they raised that banner and people rallied to it. It inspired them. It gave them hope. And, uh, you know, the mission of Crossway Church, if I, if I could fit this on a banner, it, it, uh, our mission is glory, uh, glorifying God by making disciples built on God's word, empowered by the spirit, and sharing Christ with others. That's a little maybe too long for a banner, but everyone has a banner to rally to. Did you know that? And what I mean here is that, that there's always something that is primary in our vision. That's, there's always something that's highest priority for us, right? And, and often that banner is really myself, my family, my job, my desires. What's your banner? That's what I hope that we will question of ourselves this morning and hopefully find a clear answer through the scripture what our banner should be. Let me pray before I read and uh, commit this time to the Lord. Father, we thank you that you've given us scripture, that you've called us to see you as most glorious, to encourage us to look to you for our help in times of need. Lord, give us a vision of you. Give us a mission that will glorify you that we would put away and put off the things that may distract us from that mission and to place you as our highest priority. Lord, I, as I read from your holy word, may it impart to us through the Holy Spirit conviction and hope and a restoration or even maybe even growing our desire to please you rather than pleasing ourselves. So help us do that this morning and give me words and give me wisdom to speak this morning as we read and as I preach. I pray this in Jesus' name, amen. So Exodus 17. All the congregation of the people of Israel moved on from the wilderness of sin by stages according to the commandment of the Lord, camped at Rephidim, but there was no water for the people to drink. Therefore, the people quarreled with Moses and said, give us water to drink. And Moses said to them, why do you quarrel with me? Why do you test Yahweh? 
But the people thirsted there for water, and the people grumbled against Moses and said, Why did you bring us up out of Egypt to kill us and our children and our livestock with thirst? And Moses cried to Yahweh, What shall I do with this people? They are almost ready to stone me. And the Lord said to Moses, Pass on before the people, taking with you some of the elders of Israel, and take in your hand the staff with which you struck the Nile, and go. Behold, I will stand before you there on the rock at Horeb, and you shall strike the rock, and water shall come out of it, and the people will drink. And Moses did so in the sight of the elders of Israel, and he called the name of the place Massa and Meribah, because of the quarreling of the people of Israel, and because they tested the Lord by saying, Is Yahweh among us or not? Then Amalek came and fought with Israel at Rephidim. So Moses said to Joshua, choose for us men and go out and fight with Amalek. Tomorrow I will stand on the top of the hill with the staff of God in my hand. So Joshua did as Moses told him and fought with Amalek while Moses, Aaron, and Hur went up to the top of the hill. Whenever Moses held his hand up, Israel prevailed. And whenever he lowered his hand, Amalek prevailed. But Moses' hands grew weary, so they took a stone and put it under him, and he sat on it, while Aaron and Hur held up his hands, one on one side and the other on the other side. So his hands were steady until the going down of the sun. And Joshua overwhelmed Amalek and his people with the sword. And then the Lord spoke to Moses, write this as a memorial in a book and recite it in the ears of Joshua, and I will utterly that I will utterly block, blot out the memory of Amalek from under heaven. And Moses built an altar and called the name of it, Yahweh is my banner, saying, a hand upon the throne of the Lord. The Lord will have war with Amalek from generation to generation. Amen. Now, how I would summarize this scripture is this, that Yahweh is the rock that we struck, the banner we follow to provide for us and win the battle. You remember Yahweh is the, is the great I am that I am. That's his covenant name that he's given to his people. That's why I kind of in, intermix that in there. Lord and Lord, you see Lord all caps. That is in place of, of Yahweh. Yahweh is the name, the covenant name that he's given to his people. He said, I will be with you. I will be your God. And I am. He always existed. It always will exist. He is the I am. And so Yahweh is the rock that we struck. And he's the banner that we follow to provide for us and win the battle. And he has made an unbreakable covenant with us. And God has been faithful to the Israelites. We read through Exodus. He's been faithful to the Israelites and provided for them, even when they complained and grumbled, even when they lacked faith. And you know what? God continues to be like that with his people today. God continues to be faithful when we complain and grumble, when we lack faith, when we lose sight of our mission. God provides. God is our helper. God is faithful. God forgives. And so let's get into this a little bit. I just have two points this morning. The first is that God provides even when we complain and lack faith. 
God provides even when we complain and lack faith, verses 1 to 7. Now, just a little bit of review. I think Bauer actually mentioned this during our time uh, in singing. But the people were led by a pillar of fire by night and a pillar of cloud by day. This is a pretty miraculous thing that's happening. And on top of that, they were provided manna, sweet bread from heaven, every day that they would collect. And if they needed a reminder of who this was all from, manna came for six days every day and none on the seventh day. Right? The Sabbath. The Sabbath was set aside a devoted day of rest and worship to the Lord. The people could not escape being bombarded with, hey, the Lord is here. The Lord is here. And then we come into this situation. Verse 1, all the congregation of the people of Israel moved on from the wilderness of sin by stages according to the commandment of the Lord and camped at Rephidim, but there was no water for the people to drink. So here is now a new test from God. How, how will the people respond? How would you respond? You know, we like to think that we would maybe act a little bit more reasonably. Um, hey, Moses, uh, you know, my family is, is very thirsty and, uh, you know, our favorite cow might die. Uh, all this bread from heaven is really nice, but uh, hey, can you just ask God to provide some water for us? You know, <laughs> we like to think that we would do that. I don't, I don't think we would <laughs> in the same situation, but how, how do they actually respond? Right? Verse 2, therefore the people quarreled with Moses and said, give us water to drink. And Moses said to them, why do you quarrel with me? Why do you test the Lord? But the people thirsted there for water, and the people grumbled against Moses and said, Why did you bring us up out of Egypt to kill us and our children and our livestock with thirst? This is probably not more than a month or so since God provided water at Merah and manna in the wilderness of sin. But here we are again. There's a few differences, right? Last time there was water but it was bitter, and they couldn't drink it still. It wasn't much help more than no water existing at all. But there was water, and he turned it from bitter to sweet. This time, there's just, there's nothing at all, right? There's no water in, in the place at all. Last time, the people grumbled against Moses, or in really against God. This time, the people quarreled. It's an amping up. And this time they commanded Moses, give us water. And they doubled down after Moses had responded. Why, you know, why do you quarrel with me? Why do you test the Lord? The people get kind of super dramatic and express kind of no faith in God. And, and, you know, admittedly, this is a very dire situation. They need water. They're going to die if they don't have water. So this is an immediate need. Yes. But they said, why did you bring us up out of Egypt to kill us and our children and our livestock with thirst? And here's the thing, though. This account wasn't just written so that Israel would know what would happen during the Exodus, right? It's not just so that we would see, oh, hey, Israel, yeah, there are a bunch of people, they complain all the time, and man, these, these people are just, you know, why did God let them keep going? They would have just destroyed them. But this, is a, <laughs> this kind of thing repeats, right? They go back to Horeb later, uh, and the same thing happens, and it in a different generation, I think. And the same kind of thing happens with us, too, we, right? We are faced with difficulties. 
and we complain against God. It was written as a mirror, right? God, through Moses, is telling the next generation, hey, do you see how ridiculous it is to lack faith in me? To complain and grumble against God? Do you see how faithful and merciful and patient God is? And do you see how unfaithful and impatient God's people are? God is merciful. Now, there's a couple of things that pastors don't love preaching on. One is giving, and the other is addressing member and pastor relationships. But here we are, <laughs> and it would be unfaithful for me to not address this, right? I'm going to give a, just kind of a lighthearted illustration to help us all uh, through this. I hope this doesn't offend anybody. I'm not aware of anybody actually complaining about this, at least not in this manner. But before COVID happened, right? Remember, we used to have coffee during the service. That was wonderful. And I hope that we can, again, have coffee during the service uh, again. But, and this is a fictional situation. I'm not aware of anybody that's complaining about this. <laughs> so, <laughs> this is not about you. This is about an illustration. But suppose a member just, he, he got tired of not having coffee during the service, right? And he, he came up to the pastors and, and grumbled and, and complained and demanded, give us coffee to drink. <laughs> and they, they doubled down as well. I need coffee to be able to worship. God can't work in me if I don't have coffee. Your sermons are so boring that the Holy Spirit won't be able to affect me if I don't have coffee. I'm going to die. <laughs> Now, in this, in this silly example, right, who is the complaint ultimately against? It's against the pastors, but it's really a complaint against God, isn't it? Right? God has provided pastors to, uh, to lead us. And all of our complaining, all of our grumbling, all of our quarreling is ultimately against God. No matter who you're complaining or what situation you're complaining about, you are complaining to God and about God and against God. Who has appointed leaders over you? Not just pastors, but your boss or your parents or whoever else might be over you in any situation. God has appointed leaders. Maybe it's government. Sometimes we don't like what the government does and we complain about that. Who's that complaint against? It's ultimately against God. God has provided the government with all its faults. Who has allowed the difficult situations in your life? Who has the power to change your circumstances? Who has the power to change your heart? God. And far from Moses being the perfect leader, he starts to complain against God as well. Leaders aren't immune to this, you know, as we see with Moses in the next couple verses. There was stuff this week that I complained about. I think I've shared this before, but sometimes, um, oftentimes, most times, <laughs> when I preach, a lot of stuff happens to me and my family. It's just, I think, part of the opposition of preaching. <laughs> and a bunch of stuff, I wasn't complaining about you, I was complaining about things that had happened. Um, one of them was a kid woke up at, at 3 a.m. after uh, a week of, you know, not getting great sleep. Uh, and then he was up for the rest of the day <laughs> and loud. <laughs> um, 
And just a bunch of stuff happened. And so that I, and I knew this, I was preparing a sermon on complaining against God. And here I am complaining. I knew this. I was aware of this. But it's hard to turn and repent at times, isn't it? When things are not going your way, when things, you know that ultimately God is responsible for these things, it's hard to turn away from complaining and grumbling against him, isn't it? And, you know, I went to others, I went to Megan as well, to talk about these things and to pray for me, pray for me. And I, and I almost, I didn't do this, but I almost called Bauer or Dave and said, hey, I, I need some help. And they would have helped me and they would have talked to me. Um, but I think the prayers of others were, were helpful. I was able to repent and ask God to forgive me for complaining and grumbling against him. And so I, I repented. I finished my sermon, mostly, and uh, had dinner with my family. And then another test came. My house is currently, uh, the main sewer drain out of the house is currently blocked. So we got back up into the tub and all that kind of stuff. I was actually talking to Dave Holloway about this this morning. <clears throat> so here's a, as another situation. Am I going to complain again? And I probably didn't face the situation perfectly. I'm not, I'm not perfect here, but there's, here's a situation. Will I complain against God or will I go to him in prayer? And I went to him in prayer and said, God, I, I don't like this. This is not fun. This is affecting my, my kids. This is affecting my family. This is affecting my parents. Um, help. <laughs> and so I, I do trust that he will help and the situation will be resolved. But God tests us like that sometimes. He doesn't want you to fail. He wants you to succeed. And sometimes he has to test you over and over and over again until you finally learn. And then sometimes we learn and then we test, get tested again and we fail. <laughs> right? But there is forgiveness. So let's look, let's look at what Moses did and, and learn from him. And learn from the rest of Scripture. What are we to do in these situations? What does Moses do? In verse 4, Moses cried to the Lord, What shall I do with this people? They're almost ready to stone me. You know, so he did the right thing in taking his complaint to, to God. But I think, I think there's just a hint of, of anger here. There's something there. And, and later on in Numbers 20, it's a lot more clear. Moses, in, in Numbers 20, this situation happens again, basically a generation later. Moses had had it with the people, uh, and, and he, he strikes the rock in anger against the Lord's command to speak of it that time. This time, however, God instructs Moses to strike the rock. This time, he's supposed to strike the rock. Next time, he's supposed to speak to it. Verses 5 to 7. And the Lord said to Moses, Pass on before the people, taking with you some of the elders of Israel. Take in your hand the staff with which you struck the Nile, and go. Behold, I will stand before you there on the rock at Horeb, and you shall strike the rock, and water shall come out of it, and the people will drink. And Moses did so in the sight of the elders of Israel. And he called the name of the place Massa and Meribah because of the quarreling of the people of Israel and because they tested the Lord by saying, is the Lord among us or not? Note that God says, I will stand before you there on the rock. He goes before the people. That's what he often does with us too. He goes before us. He's paving the path. 
is making the way. And the rock that Moses struck with the staff, do you know this? That it was Christ. This is a foreshadowing of the cross. And how do I know this? Well, there's many reasons, but the most conclusive is just right in Scripture, 1 Corinthians 10, verse 2 to 4. And all were baptized into Moses in the cloud and in the sea, and all ate the same spiritual food, manna, and all drank the same spiritual drink, for they drank from the spiritual rock that followed them. The rock was Christ. So we know definitively this rock is Christ. I don't know how that all works, but Moses didn't just strike a rock out in the desert. Moses struck Jesus Christ, our God and Savior. God subjected himself to our unrighteous judgment here. And Moses goes by the people. He takes the elders with him, leading the people. God goes before them. And he takes his staff that was used to deprive the Egyptians of water. Right? Remember when he turned the, the Nile into blood? Now he uses that same staff and strikes the rock with it to provide water for the Israelites. A foreshadowing of how we struck Christ on the cross. And so when we are tested, when we complain and we grumble and we quarrel, whether that's with our leaders or with God, and really it's all ultimately with God, that is a sin that God, that Christ has taken on the cross. We so often fail. We sin. God has taken that sin upon himself. You know, have you complained? I, almost everybody has. I don't know anybody that has never complained and in fact, I think complaint is fairly common in our lives, whether we recognize it as complaint or not. What are we to do? We are to turn and repent. There's forgiveness because Christ took our sin, because he has taken it on the cross, and he took the punishment that we deserved. And our record of wrongs has been wiped clean now. And God has, in the same way, shown himself to the Israelites to be abundantly merciful. He's merciful to us. He's, he was merciful to them. He's a provider for them. He's a provider for us. He delivered them from Egypt. He freed them from the bondage of slavery. He promised to be with them and then led them through pillars, pillars of fire by night, pillar of cloud by day. He provided water for them at Merah from bitter to sweet. He provided them manna to eat, food from the sky. It's amazing. And he's now provided water again for them. And in so many of these tests, Israel has failed. And now their leader is beginning to fail as well. This all just points towards the need for a leader who is perfect. One not like us. One who is Christ, who lived perfectly so that he could take our punishment. And he has been faithful. He has provided. He has forgiven you because of the cross. So if you believe that, commit so that the next time you're tested to stop and pray. Recount how God has been faithful to you first. Then bring your concerns and your difficulties to him. You know, if, and if there's something to bring to your, your leaders, to your pastors, your life group leader, your deacons, whoever it is, 
come to us and, and, and ask. You know, we, we would rather hear your complaint and grumbling than for you to suffer in silence. Help us to help you, right? We want, we want to help you. And we, we can even help you with, with the complaints and the grumbling. Pastors are called to shepherd and keep watch over your souls. We, we really give an account to God for you. This is a, a weighty thing. And I am I'm thankful for each and every one of you, right? So this isn't just like a us versus you kind of thing. We want to hear you. We want to take care of issues that, that are happening, whether it's in the church or it's in your personal life, whatever it is. We want to help you. We want to help you walk through that. Let's join arms and walk through that together. And so my question well, let me, let me get to the question a little bit. The whole point of Moses naming the place Massa and Maribel, that, that means test and quarrel, is so that they would remember how foolishly they acted there and how faithful God was. So let's also remember when we have acted foolishly, right? So that next time we can face that situation a little bit more faithfully. So my question to you is how can you turn from complaint and grumbling to faith and trust. How can you turn from complaint and grumbling to faith and trust? Now, for some of you, you, you love to journal, and I, I would encourage you to be honest in your journal, to write down when you have complained and grumbled and been unfaithful, and how God has corrected you and, and worked with you and been faithful to you and merciful to you. But however it is, think back on the times where you, you had complained, you had sinned, you had been unfaithful, and God was faithful to you, merciful to you. Recount that so that in the future you can face these tests more faithfully. Now, when we complain, it's evidence that we've lost vision of God, from God. We have kind of displaced the most important thing for something less. And it's not like the something less isn't important, right? Water to drink in the desert is pretty important. <laughs> but what's more important than that? Faithfulness to God, following God. So like Israel, we must rally to the banner of Christ lifted high. So this is my second point. We must rally to the banner of Christ lifted high, verses 8 to 16. Then Amalek comes to attack, right? And they were insidious in their attacks. It doesn't really go into this, but in other parts of the Bible, Deuteronomy 25 talks about how the Amaleks would prey on the weakest and the stragglers of the group. This wasn't just like a head-on attack at times. This was, they were nipping at the weakest of the group. And so verse 8, Then Amalek came and fought with Israel at Rephidim. So Moses said to Joshua, Choose for us men and go out and fight with Amalek. Tomorrow I will stand on the top of the hill with the staff of God in my hand. In Egypt, right, God fought all of the battles. He won all of the battles the people really didn't have to do much except for get up and, and go. Now here, instead of running away, Israel must defend themselves. They must take up a sword 
Shields if they had them. I don't know what all they had, but God is helping them to grow in maturity. So this is a physical battle, but there's a spiritual element to it. And we are to learn from this spiritually as well. God is helping. If God does everything for you, we don't grow in maturity. But if we defend ourselves and we take up the sword and the shield ourselves, we can grow. And it's not that God has left them to fend for themselves. No. Verse 10 So Joshua did as Moses told him and fought with Amalek, while Moses, Aaron, and Hur went up to the top of the hill. And whenever Moses held up his hands, Israel prevailed. And whenever he lowered his hands, Amalek prevailed. But Moses' hands grew weary. So they took a stone and put it under him, and he sat on it, while Aaron and Hur held up his hands, one on one side and one on the other side. So the hands were steady until the going down of the sun. And Joshua overwhelmed Amalek and his people with the sword. You know, it's really interesting that the events of this section really focus on what Moses and the other leaders did, isn't it? Why, why is that the way that this is written for us? God is highlighting the work of the leaders here and really showing that he is working through them and showing again that Moses is not perfect, right? He's weak, there's no sin in this, but he's weak. That leaders need help from other leaders. Here's a question for you. Have you ever tried to hold something above your head or even just hold up your hands above your head for a long time? Let's, uh, let's try it right now. How long do you think you can hold your hand up? I'll, I'll say ready, set, go. Hold, hold up your hand. I can only do one because i got to preach. But... <laughs> And it's a little bit easier sitting than it is standing, but we'll see how long we go, and I'll keep preaching here, right? <laughs> the world record, I think, at least in my little Googling, is nine minutes. It's not very long, is it? Right? Moses had to do this all day and see how long you can last as we continue here. The lives of the battle were dependent on Moses keeping his hands raised with his staff. People's lives were at stake here. And he couldn't just do it on his own, so Aaron and Hur set up a stone chair for him to sit on. And they helped him keep his hands up. And this is why leaders need help from other leaders. Why, why did this matter? Why, why did God arrange things like this? I think it's because what Moses was raising was not just a staff, right? Not just the staff, but he was rallying people to the banner of God. That staff is the power of God, or the instrument that he used anyway. Sure, I'm getting tired. <laughs> Verse 14, then the Lord said to Moses, write this as a memorial in a book and recite it in the ears of Joshua, that I will utterly block out the memory of Amalek from under the sun. From under, from under heaven. And Moses built an altar and called the name of it, the Lord is my banner, saying, a hand upon the throne of the Lord. The Lord will have war with Amalek from generation to generation. The Lord is my banner, or Yahweh Nissi. You've heard Jehovah Nissi, maybe. This is the banner of God. Yahweh is my banner. And so people don't just see Moses raising a staff, 
But they see that God is with them. And they see this is a rallying cry for God. We're at two minutes here. My arm's pretty tired. <laughs> so though Israel is, Israel is doing the fighting, it's clear that, that winning is what God is doing. The people are fighting, and they're fighting hard. God is doing the winning. And in this life, if we are to win the battle against sin and the enemies of the church, we must rally behind the banner of Christ. I'm going to put my arm down because I'm pretty tired. You can keep yours up if you want. It's 2 minutes 30. That's not very long at all if you're talking about a day of putting your hands up, right? It's impossible. Moses couldn't do it. He needed help. even though this is the most important thing that Moses could do. He couldn't do it on his own. And why did God arrange this? It's because this is the rallying cry. God is our banner. He will win the war for us. It's not going to be our own strength that will win the war. We must rally behind the banner of Christ. And now I know Moses, uh, you know, Bauer is not Moses. Dave is not Aaron. I'm not her. But there's much truth to the fact that leaders need the help of other leaders. This is why we so greatly value the plurality of pastors. And so should you. There's not, they're just for accountability, although that is one thing that they do. Pastors can keep each other accountable, but we encourage each other. It's so helpful to have partners in leading this ministry. I wouldn't want to do it without pastors like Dave and Bauer. I'm so thankful for them. But Bauer has raised high the banner of Christ, right? He has been doing that for 20 years. And Dave and I have now been supporting him and leading with him and raising the banner of Christ before you. And your life group leaders and your deacons even have been raising the banner of Christ before you and other leaders and servants, continuing to raise that banner of Christ, him crucified. We are united by the gospel. Christ and him crucified is our rally, and God is with us. The, really, the full gospel, right? All that God has accomplished on the cross and through his resurrection, that's our rally cry. When we lose sight of that, we might start to complain. We start losing the battle against sin and against worldliness, and we will not be very salty and will not shine before the world if we are busy complaining and fighting amongst ourselves. And really, the church in America has been tested over the past couple of years, hasn't it? And I think in many ways, it hasn't done that well. I think from an outsider perspective, they see the Christian church in America. I don't know about the rest of the world. Um, but they see the church in America, and it's full of infighting and rebellion and just ugliness, right? I think, 
I think a large part of that is because they've lost sight of what is most important. They've lost sight of the gospel. And I'm not saying these, all these churches are bad. Um, every church struggles. Every church is imperfect, right? But what I've seen at Crossway, I, I think you've passed this test. Not perfectly, of course. No church is perfect. But I think you've passed. I hope people on the outside of us see us as, as a church that cares for each other. Whether we're vaccinated or not vaccinated, or whether we're wearing masks or not wearing masks, that we love each other. We all have different opinions about these things. That's okay. But let's love each other and work towards our unifying goal, right? Christ and him crucified. Let's grow in loving God more and present Christ to those outside the church, those who don't know him. He's most glorious. He's what unites us, not some political or other kind of message. But Christ and him crucified, that's our rally call. That's our banner. And I don't think it's because of the leadership of the pastors that you have done well in this test, but the leadership of God. And because you see the gospel as most important, because God has helped us to rally to the banner of Christ lifted high week in and week out. And so when you are faced with no water and no food, temptation on every, si uh, on every side, trials and difficulties, conflict and confrontation, offenses and unkindness, when you're faced with all these kinds of things, rally to the banner of Christ. Our hope is not in perfect leaders, because if it was, you'd be doomed. <laughs> We're not perfect leaders. Far from it. Our hope is not in the change of circumstances. Though we do pray for change in circumstances. God works and does change circumstances. But that's not what our hope is in. Our hope is in God himself. And you see that the war against Amalek continues. Verse 16, those who oppose God are present in the world. And sometimes they're even in the church. But by the preaching of the word, we again raise the banner of Christ before you and before the world. And though we may fail the test at many times, though the church in America will fail that test many times, Jesus will grow his kingdom. Because he has already conquered sin and death. Isaiah eleven ten says, The root of Jesse will stand as a banner for the peoples. The nations will rally to him, and his place of rest will be glorious. Heed the call of Christ, our captain. The banner raised high. My question to you is, what are some practical ways to help you keep your eyes on the banner of Christ, which your pastors and other leaders raise high? How can you keep your eyes on the banner? What are some practical ways? I mean, some obvious ways are listen to the sermon each week. But stay in the word. Pray. Seek counsel from other mature Christians, from your pastors even. Rehearse the gospel to yourself. 
Remember that Christ died for your sins so that we don't have to continue feeling guilty about how we complained in the past, but we can seek God and ask for forgiveness. Forgive me for my complaint and my grumbling and my quarreling with you. And he will forgive you fully and completely so that we don't have to feel guilty anymore. Jesus really is the rock that we struck and the banner that we follow to provide for us and win the battle. God wants to take your brokenness. He wants to take your unfaithfulness and he wants to take your sin. And he wants to turn you into a people who will battle against the world. God is the one who's going to win that battle, right? We're going to fight it. We're going to work hard at it. But God's the one who's going to win it. And he wants to use you to do it. And this church stands amidst a world that hates Christ. There is a battle. If we're fighting each other, we're not going to win that battle very well, are we? But if we rally to the banner of Christ, Him crucified, we will win that battle. God will win it for us. And so let's put off complaint, let's put off sin, and put on a vision to follow Christ wherever he leads us, even if that is into the heart of the battle, into the heart of difficulties and trials and tribulations. We will follow him. Let's pray. Father, we thank you that you have been so faithful and merciful to your people. Over and over again, you are forgiving God. We thank you that you forgive us when we complain, when we're unfaithful, when we sin. And we ask again, help, help us to turn from these sins and our unfaithfulness and our grumbling, Lord, and turn towards you ask for forgiveness and look again to the vision you set before us that we are to rally to the call of Christ Jesus you are the one we live our lives for help us to make you most important even in the midst of lots of very important things in our lives our children, our family, our spouse, our job. Help us to make you number one priority and to trust that you will provide what we need. You'll give us the water that we so desperately need. You'll give us the bread that we so desperately need. And you will provide everything that we need. Help us to follow you faithfully. And I trust the Holy Spirit. God, you will do that in us, in our hearts, even today. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.